Just gonna, uh, I'm gonna roll the start here. I love it. Shelly says hello and hello to your dogs. Tell Shelly I said hello. They uh, they miss <laughs> extra attention. Let's see. One of them is. Both of them are asleep. One of them's actually chewing on my watch. Give me a second. Oh, that's his favorite toy. It's my. Not that I have overly expensive watches, but uh, I'm sure you don't. They're Mr. not a ten- uh, below your means. <laughs> they're not ten dollar chew toys, which he should be chewing on. Yes. Yeah. This is a uh, an automatic fossil. It's quite uh-huh. quite cool. I actually. love fossil. I have one. It's like my probably my favorite watch. Yeah, first or second. Even though I got it for thirty five bucks, brand new on like some smoking hot deal. <laughs> oh yeah. I yeah. like fossil stuff just because it's good quality watch. They're not overly expensive. And if I break it, I don't feel that bad because I'll get like some people carry around like the, you know, the very fancy watches that are five, six figures. And I'm like, I don't want that much money on my wrist at any given time ever. <laughs> That's my two cents though. I de- well, yeah, we've talked, we talked about this last week when we're walking, uh, how I just have way more vices than you. <laughs> you are just not really a man of vice. And I ask you like, David, what vices do you have? And you're like, well, you know, I'll sometimes watch uh, Netflix, but I'm always like working during it, you know? <laughs> and I'm just like, uh, hold on, I'm getting this phone call. I got to decline. You're good. Reply with message on, on podcast. Okay. Yes. Hopefully I won't get another call. All right. Yeah, man. You're, you're a clean cut guy. I do my best. I do my best. Um, try to think it's uh, I was literally before this call, I was writing, typing up emails and doing admin stuff. Like I said, I did, but with, uh, you ever watch the morning show on Apple TV? No, I don't watch any type that's, of TV. Yeah. That's what I was watching. I was watching that in the background and, uh, cranking out some emails and admin stuff yeah. that I needed to get done. And I just refused to do. <laughs> Gotcha. Well, that's one area, just one small area where I do have you beat on t- in terms of TV consumption. Um, oh, however, I make up for it. I make up for it with Grand Theft Auto Five. Um, See, now you put me so, in front of a video game, man. I would be. <laughs> I can dive into a video game. Anything that deals with like cars or like first person. Yeah. Oh my goodness, man! I could, I could burn. Yeah. Weeks. Yeah. <laughs> Well, let's let's start this, man. I know we'll had a, we had a rolling start. I'm not going to cut it out, but for everyone tuning into our conversation, wondering who the heck is this on the other line here that I'm talking with. Well, first off, welcome to the Jordan Paris Show. This is the first guest interview that I've done in seven months. We returned last week with a solo episode, and I had a lot of fun recording it. And now I'm back, as promised with a guest interview that I've been really excited about because this guy is just my business superhero right now. And I told you last week that I was going to be interviewed. I don't really care about interviewing famous, Mr. Famous and Mrs. Famous anymore. Like I just don't really care how it looks to people. You know, I used to post a podcast every Monday with like really famous person. And if you weren't famous, you weren't coming on my show. And so my ego got really like burned out and I got burned out of podcasting in large part because of that. But now I just, I, the main reason I'm coming back is because I have these great friends that are just great entrepreneurs, business people 
that I so look up to in so many different areas, especially business, that I just really, really, for selfish reasons, want to hear from. So like coming back to podcasting with a more authentic purpose, right? And so I'm really, really happy to bring you David Riggs. David's the founder of NUMA, NUMA LLC. And that is a, David, what would you call it? A web design, web development agency? Is Am I, am I negging it to say that? No, yeah, I think you're good. I was going to say, I think I call it a media agency technically, and it's definitely yeah. not true media. But yeah, we do web design, web development, and SEO. Yeah. So let me give you a little bit more on David here. David, I remember, and we're going to get into his journey in just a few minutes. I think I recall hearing from a little birdie, our friend Jordan Ross, that you were probably doing about, you know, two to $4,000 per month at the time that you and I both graduated. I think we both graduated May of 2020. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. And you were, is that also correct that you were doing about that much in revenue each month at that time? Yeah, I think on average, I mean, there are months that I had zero months that maybe I, you know, did 8,000, but right. yeah, on average, it was not nothing, nothing five figures and nothing special. That's for sure. Uh-huh. And so I've also heard from this little birdie and I remember hearing, I've been, you know, I, I hope you don't mind that Jordan does share this stuff with me. Um, I think that, you know, the three of us are, are pretty tight, tight enough to be able to share that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I remember hearing back in, March from Jordan. Oh, he's at like, you know, he's doing $50,000 a month or something like that. You know, I could be wrong. And now from what I understand, doing well over a hundred thousand dollars per month, like you guys are just absolutely crushing it. And it's the way that you run your, I don't really care so much about the money. It's the way that you run your business that is what really admires that gains my admiration and the reason that I want to talk to you today. So I think that we'll start. And by the way, can we, ver <laughs> am I like speaking inaccurately? Like I just want to. Accurate. Yeah. I'll say we'll give a, we'll give a full, full shot. So I, and I guess we'll dive into this. So maybe it's a little sneak peek, but I, obviously had the agency throughout college and was just doing some side projects for maybe like 500 bucks at a time. So college kid thought that was rich, right? You know, built it, grew it, but after college, and we'll talk kind of like what my job situation looked like as well. But from a business side, we pretty quickly went from like 2000 to 8,000 and pretty quickly got up to like the 20 to 30,000 range of just like pure, we were pitching websites, we were building them, closing them, collecting all the cash on the back end, collecting on the front end, doing, you know, pretty well with that. So we started there, slowly grew. This March, we hit 76,000. So that was a big a big win for us because it was just the biggest month that we had yet. From March to, I'd say, you know, October, it was right around like the 50 to 60 every single month. And then I think June was 100K month. July, August were a little slow. September was a little slow. I think it was like the 60s to 80s. So slow for us at that point. And then October, I'm trying to think, I, I always forget that's how the year goes, man. I think of it in quarters and dates. I don't even know what Q4 actually contains. But uh, September, October, November, we're all $100,000 months. So Amazing. we finished off the year three back to yeah. back to back, 100000 which is cool. So David, let's go all the way back. Actually, even before I do that, I, 
I, I want to say just for context for people, we were actually going to do this interview in person um, yep. maybe 12 days ago or something like that, almost two weeks ago. And then I got sick and David was, uh, David was nice enough to, uh, he's like, oh, you're in Colorado. Like <laughs> I'll still see you anyway. Like it's, it's cool. But I was in no condition to do a podcast. And then 11 days later, 10 days later, I calculated it. Cause I was, I, I said to my girlfriend, I was like, did I get him sick? Cause he got sick. But my girlfriend said, like, there's no way, you know, that's too far apart. So I'm not taking any blame just for the record, David. <laughs> I don't know if you blame Actually, I didn't even, I didn't even think of that. Uh, no, yeah, I was going to say, because whatever, maybe whatever you had, or maybe it was just uh, right whenever you left, I think the next couple of days, it went from like 70 to 30 overnight. And it has just wrecked my sinuses since yeah. then. Yeah, well... I wish we could have done this interview in person. It's okay. I'm glad that I we still got to hang out and you know you took we'll me on do, your, we'll have to do V2 your walk. Your yeah, the morning, the morning walk, baby. Perfect. Yeah. It was a great day. Um and, and insane how hot it was in Denver. It was like 70 degrees. But yep. nevertheless, excited to be here today. Let's go all the way back. What got you, David, into entrepreneurship? That's a good question. Right. I, I think if we're going all the way back, so my dad was kind of the the face of not entrepreneurship for me, but really just like people going out and doing cool things. You know, he had a bunch of different roles in public safety, was, you know, in front of people quite a bit, had a quite a few different leadership opportunities. And I think that got me hooked in, at least visible on the fact of like, you know, there are two, two different ways to work, I'll say. One, you know, sit back, take your orders. And then the other is give your orders. And that's not the greatest analogy, but I think it gets a point across that some people create and, you know, hand off. Some people just wait for the handoff and go do their own thing. And, and both are needed, right? You can't run a business without it. But that was really the first time I really saw a version of entrepreneurship. You know, hanging out with my dad, you get to see quite a few pretty cool people. You know, I was 15, 16, 17, probably even 13, 14, you know, meeting mayors of cities, meeting people that were running companies, you know, really, really cool people that at that time I had no idea who they were. I, I didn't understand it, but it was cool to start to be around those people because I think the, you know, we can talk human brain psychology all you want, but like the more that you surround yourself with people that you want to be, whether or not you even know you want to be that, your brain just kind of starts to naturally pick up on certain tendencies. You start to connect the dots in a way and your brain does what it does best. It, you know, it creates little mental models of, you know, this person does X, I see them doing ABC as well, you know, that they must connect. So Pretty early on, I start to see and, you know, I, I get visibility into a lot of that stuff, which definitely played a role. And I, I think what ultimately pushed me over the edge of entrepreneurship was uh, ironically college. You know, you and I have the same stance on this. College is great for the friendships. College is great for what you make of it. But it's not always great on the pure education of like what you are learning. So I made a big effort whenever I was in college to get the most out of the, you know, experiential side of a college, right? So clubs, involvements, extracurriculars, things like that. So you know, plenty of points. I was skipping homework and not, you know, studying for tests because I was too busy running, you know, a club or a, an event or something of that you, sort, which is... You were running the TED event on campus, the TEDx event on campus, which by the way... TEDx Wabash College. For listeners, David is the one who gifted me, graciously gifted me my TEDx talk and the reason why I was able to give one. So very... Always very grateful for that opportunity, David. And I'm but still, yeah, you I'm were still so that. bummed that COVID, that COVID wrecked that, man. I was excited for you to speak at like the event that I was running. And what was like a full year later that you ended up actually speaking? A full year. 
Exactly. And um, I was actually even going to, I was planning on bringing my recording equipment back then because I remember, and I actually still have the yellow note card in my other desk, my floating desk against the wall there. Um, it's a yellow note card back from our first or second call back in like January of maybe 2018. And you had, you were giving me tips on how, oh goodness, yeah. <laughs> on how to land a TEDx talk. And they're actually really valuable tips. And I thought it would be like, you know, at the time, and it still would be valuable for people. Um, I thought those tips would be really valuable to share. So I was actually going to have you on the podcast then, but yeah, it wrecked it. We weren't able to meet. Um, and what, what a two years it's happened. been, I was going to say a huge, a huge change on both sides. Yeah. When we graduated, that's the biggest thing. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, you were too, you were missing homework assignments, too busy running, yeah. uh, clubs, whatnot, Events, things like that. Yeah. yeah. And it was the first, uh, I tend to say college is a great sandbox for people. I mean, you can fail and what's the worst that can happen? Like you're going to walk back to your dorm room. I mean, like you, you got a roof over your head, you got friends around you, you're in a big, really cool environment you know, easily accessible to all sorts of things right in your little community. And I think that was one thing of like, I saw that I took it as a chance to go start a business. A lot of people see that and they took it as a chance to, party. you know, Hey, hang out with friends, party, things like that. And look, both sides are fine. It's not pro or con. Maybe in my head it is, but for me, it was like, okay, this is a great opportunity. There are very low upsides and very, you know, high or very low downsides, very high upsides there very minimal risk of like the worst that's going to happen is people talking about me, which totally happened. The best that's going to happen is I'm going to leave college or soon thereafter and have some type of business that, you know, everyone else is going to go get a job. I didn't want to, so I didn't have to. So yeah, I think it really started way back when I got hooked on it with just seeing and meeting the people that my dad was hanging out in kind of these larger circles, getting into college and actually realizing that like there are plenty of leadership opportunities that I snapped my finger and I have a couple. And those were great, uh, honestly, just like great opportunities to refine how I wanted to lead people, but start to build like my own personal philosophy on like systems, processes, how things need mm -hmm. to be built, how they need to be delivered. I'm a pickler on uh, like client communication and just communication in general. And that all stemmed back from like, you know, how are we updating people that we need to update? How are we reporting to people that we need to report? How can we make it as simple as possible? How can we make it as efficient as possible? And yeah, you know, so give me an example blurred. of, what's an example yeah. of that? Yeah. So there was a, and he actually recently passed away, which is really sad, but he was a, a big player in TEDx, which was, his name was Roland. You might actually remember him. Um, did he, he give had, a, did he end up giving a talk at the, one of the events or? No, he, no. we were, we had him slated, which is sad, but he was mm. one of the guys that was, I was super close with, but one that we frequently reported to on like the status of TEDx. He was like our, in today's terms, kind of like our, our investor, our board of trustees, board of one, you know, we had to report to him and he gave us a lot of freedom in the sense of go make the event happen. Keep me in tune if anything happens, but like you have the freedom to go make it happen but equally, that meant that like every other Friday, we would update him on everything. So it was almost like the very first thing of like, I can't waltz into this meeting and be like, hey, you know, we're doing one, two, three, four, five, six, seven things. All right, see ya. You know, what, what's the strategy? What, what did we try this week that worked? What did we try that didn't work? What are we going to tweak for next week? But, you know, also here are the things that we spent money on. Here are the things that we need your approval to spend money on. Here are the things that we need your opinion on. But almost, you know, how to structure these meetings. And this is just a really niche example, but like how to structure a meeting to have a goal, to have an agenda, to get the most out of it, 
you know, how long does a meeting actually need to take? Don't throw 30 minutes on someone's calendar because that's the default of Microsoft Office. Like <laughs> really getting into like how to communicate with these people. But I think the biggest thing I learned in all that is how to get by them because admittedly, uh, I'm an entrepreneur. I can talk for days and get my way pretty easily as long as I talk in the way that I want to, right? So a lot of times it wasn't as much as, you know, hey, I'm curious your thoughts on X, Y, and Z. It was uh, a formulated hypothesis and a formulated question that mm. was going to guide that person to the answer that I wanted to get out of them. Um, yeah. Right. If I wanted to do something, it wasn't like, do you think I should do it? It was stating all the benefits of doing, you know, what I wanted to do. And then, okay, what do you think now? Do you think this is the right choice? So, right. you know, I, I look back and like <laughs> people, people can think whatever they want, but like that, I guarantee you Roland knew that was happening too. And let me learn through that. But like a lot of it is, especially businessman, sales, marketing, leadership, things like that. Uh, a leader's point of view and, and where a leader sits is not actually just telling people what to do. It's creating buy-in so they get to the same solution and answer that you actually want them to get to. Yeah. For me, let's say the solution's A and you have A, B, and C as your choices. A good leader doesn't leave it up to the entire team to say, hey, majority wins. Pick what you want to do and we'll do it. That's not leadership because if leadership was that easy, nobody would be a leader. It would be you know, a congregation and nothing would ever happen. But a leader, right, knows solution is A, doesn't tell people that we have to do it, doesn't make the choice for them. It's, you know, creatively finding a way to create buy-in around solution A to make sure that even if people aren't into it, they get it. They understand it at least. They might not chose it if they were in your shoes, but they understand why you did. And I, I think that's the biggest thing of like really in college, especially with TEDx and, and some of those other events, is just helping people other than you understand the why and, and really get their buy-in on big and small decisions creatively, tactfully talking about solution A to get buy-in. I mean, and that's something that, gosh, you know, I hear you talk about and I'm like, gosh, I don't even have time to think about that. You know, <laughs> like <laughs> think about how to say, like that's, that's next level stuff, man. So you're, you're learning these lessons through just getting involved on campus, clubs, events, all sorts of things when does the agency come into the picture? What year? Yeah. So the agency has always kind of been around and it was a, just a freelance gig for me. So anytime I picked up like a consultancy or like a side project, it would quickly just run under what then was just NUMA LLC. It was technically a DBA. We called ourselves Shift Media. Um, and we were going to shift you to the digital age. That one didn't last very long at all. Um, I didn't know what I was doing sounds, either. So that's sounds like uh, sounds like trend up media. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I, I just never changed my name. <laughs> yeah, I, I finally. I was like, I need a new brand. This one doesn't make sense. And then, of course, I pick a Greek name that nobody can pronounce. So I've I really knocked it out of the park round two. Well, um, I wanted to give you credit for that too. I never even took the time to be like, what does that mean? What is NUMA? Yeah. But I did maybe a week or two ago and I actually, yeah, it was a week ago and I looked up the word yeah. and it meant like to breathe. Yeah. Or like breathing. So we use it as like, it's the religious context is like the soul. Um, so it's a lot of like, I think the marketing is understanding like who the business is and why they function. And that's a lot of like the soul of a person, right? Like understanding their why. Um, so it definitely creatively came together and we've marketed it on our own, but, uh, a lot of people come in and they're like, yeah, your agency, um, you know, how do you pronounce it? 
<laughs> I was like, yeah, I've had that question plenty of times. Don't feel bad. Here, here's how you pronounce it. But yeah, man, it's uh, it's going to be one of those things now that like it happened by chance. But I think we're standing up a couple new companies in 22 and 23 probably. And they're all going to have Greek names with that similar meeting behind it just yep. because we started. We might as well keep it going. I see one of them, I think, about – it seems to be centered around systems and processes <laughs> Yeah, uh, I think Jordan just sent out a blast about it. What's it? What's it called? Is that yeah, it's called. Yeah, it's called Talos. Um, yeah. So Talos is an a. It's also spelled Talos Talos. There's multiple different pronunciations, but ironically, it was like a. It's a Greek mythology myth. Kind of a cool thing to read about, but it was basically this big automaton that was commissioned by Zeus to guard the island, but it was like a, just a full robot. Like it just did the same thing over and over and over again was super predictable and like protected the people inside from all the other stuff and, you know, let them do what they do best. So that's where Talos is like a systems development agency. So we'll go into like other agencies and basically build out their stuff. But yeah, that's the story behind that one. Amazing, man. You are going to, I was, I was wondering like when you were going to do something like that, because that's what I think you're just so genetically encoded to do like you are so good at that and i want to talk about that you know what's your where did your where did that come from the that system and process development just attention to that and and just feeding that giving that care and you know why you thought that was anyway take that where you wish i i'd honestly tell you and this is kind of a roundabout answer but i am naturally like, I think there's a, a group of people that say you need to work extremely hard to go get success. There's a group of people that say, eh, you can work as hard as you want and go get success. I'm one of the ones that's like, you should find a way to be as lazy as possible and get the same output done and then start working harder. You should get the bare minimum. You should figure out the minimum amount of hours in to get the most output, figure out why that is, and then pour time into it, not the other way around. All that to be said, naturally, I'm, I'm not someone that really enjoys working 18 hour days, unless I know my why, I'd much rather work a two hour day. So if I have a massive problem in front of me, I, I don't go run at it. I actually take time to think through it. And if I'm gonna actually solve a problem, I only solve it with a system. So if there's a problem around communication, I don't solve that problem immediately. I actually go into it like a, a web dev playbook, let's say, so how we're managing web projects. Say there's a little hesitancy in communication or there's a lag in like getting feedback from a client or like, this is one that's actually contextual. We're not getting enough content early enough in the process. There's one client that exhibited that. Before we go solve that problem, we actually update the full process and procedure for it. That way we never have to touch it again. So I'm a big believer of like, I don't like doing the same thing twice. It frustrates me, even if I have to repeat myself twice, which is more patience. But I really think it came from the fact that like, I just liked not having to worry about a ton. I liked having stuff set in stone and it made me feel, if anything accomplished, and like, Hey, stuff's going in the background. I don't have to worry about it. It's happening. It's moving. It's grooving. I get to have freedom to go do what I want because I'm not somebody that wants, you know, trillions of dollars a month coming in. And, you know, I don't, I don't want to be the Jeff Bezos. I'd much rather be the guy that you've probably never heard of that yep. makes a couple million dollars a year that doesn't hardly work, that doesn't drive 19 different Ferraris or have a, you know, a trillion dollar business, but doesn't care. Like I, yeah. my thing is as quickly as I can kind of remove myself from the equation, the better, because there are smarter people to go do what I'm doing. And if I can build that ecosystem to let them thrive in where they don't need me, that's the biggest thing. So yeah, I, I think it comes from that, man. It's like, 
I never really liked being relied upon, which is, a, I think, an interesting take for a lot of entrepreneurs that I don't like responsibility. My goal it was to actually build something to where I didn't have to be responsible for anything. Yeah. But the business is still going to run. It's still going to make money and people are still going to have opportunities to succeed. So I think that's where it comes from. I've always been a detailed person, but I never like doing yeah, the same just, thing twice. Yeah, because I think the easy solution is a problem comes up or a fire pops up, you put the fire out, but then it rises again, you put it out again. And you do that hundreds of times and nobody really ever thinks of like, okay, why is the fire starting? Oh, because there's a match next to some gasoline. We should probably just separate the two and never have to put the fire out again. So yeah, that's my thought process. I don't, God probably wired my brain like that. It's a little bit of, you know, nature versus nurture and what I was born with and, you know, kind of what I grew up with. So Probably not the perfect answer, but yeah, I think it just comes from a combination of all those things. Regarding the Ferraris, not wanting something is as good as having it. And You sound like Brian Holiday. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely do envy you in that area. You know, that's that's in something that I do struggle with. There's all these material things that I still desire. You know, I may have shed one thing which is like just the the validation of being seen with famous person X or Y or Z. But I still have a lot of like of other things that are still centered around validation. So not wanting something as good as having it, I really admire you in that area. Cause like I said, you know, you're a clean cut guy. Don't really desire a lot of vices like the ones I desire. Um, and then number two, you know, regarding the systems and processes, you're like a holistic agency doctor getting to the root cause so that it doesn't crop up again. You know, and that's very much the way that I look at health. You know, I was a personal trainer, as you probably know, and health was like my passion, you know, five, six years ago. Um, that was the only thing I cared about. And holistic, holistic health was all that I cared about. So I very much resonate with that. Cool to see it in the agency world. What would you say? Regarding systems and processes, like if someone's running a digital agency, how do you recommend implementing that? You know, what softwares do you do it in Google Docs? Like, talk to me about implementation of a process. Yeah, I th well, I think the easiest place, if you have no process, whatever you document it on is better than nothing. If you have a whiteboard, if you have a notepad, if you have a piece of paper, if you literally have the notes app on your phone and you're out at dinner and that's all you got, just start jotting it down because again, this is where perfection is going to kill a lot of the process that you do do need to create, but you won't uh, throw softwares out the you know window, throw automations out the window, throw all the other stuff out the window and just start documenting stuff at, you know, at will. I mean, there are myself and our uh, director of ops just went through our training database uh, between trainings and SOPs. We had about 300, yeah. 120 of them or so were completely useless. But it got me to create the other 180, totally worth it. Because now we know, okay, for the new ones that we create in the future, this is what we do have, what we don't have. This is a structure that we need to have for every SOP. It's kind of just getting your hands dirty again. It's just documenting it will and just like figuring it out as you go. I think that's the biggest first step that anybody could take. But uh, to get into the weeds of it, I'm biased, but I love Airtable for a number of different reasons. But Airtable is one of the few platforms that is purely just a data congregation platform. Um, you can cut it and slice it in a number of different ways. So Excel, it's more of a formula platform, right? But it's not necessarily linkable. And I, I guess Airtable is a relational database, which is the, more or less a, a very important piece of the puzzle. It connects the dots for you without having to actually connect them. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but Google Docs, right, is just documentation. It doesn't have all the things. So Airtable gave me a good chance to bring everything under one roof, connect the dots and make kind of our, like Airtable is the brain of our agency. It has everything going on. I was looking at it this morning. We have close to seven to 800 open assigned tasks for the next six months of our workflow. That's it. I don't have to think about what we're doing for the next six months because it's already documented down on paper, which is really freaking cool. Um, so it takes the that brain, out. The brain yeah. of your agency. I love that. So, I mean, and I'll put it this way. Airtable is the smartest person on our team. It knows the most about what's going on. It's the most predictable, but yeah. it also takes out the really boring part of running an agency, which is client comms and wondering what you actually need to do that day without a client firing you. And lets you actually do what you do best, which could be for some of our team members, strategy or reporting or analysis. So it takes all the, you know, three foot level tasks and lets people work at the 30,000 foot view because the rest of it's taken away. So, yeah, I, but I'd say the biggest recommendation, start documenting on Airtable. Go watch some Airtable tutorials. Notion's another good one. I don't love it because it's not as relational as Airtable is, but That's yeah, I'm biased thing, on Airtable. Man. Relational, like having it all connect, you know, it's it's one thing if like they're scattered everywhere and, you know, it's not like a full operating system. You know, I like that you say it's relational and that's something that I think that I'm really, really good at building systems and processes and, you know, it, it looks really aesthetic and there's a, there's why, you know, what is this document? Why here's the video or set of videos of me talking through it step. And in the video, I'm going step-by-step line by line of the checklist, just highlighting, okay, this is what we're doing now. This is what we're doing now. And that being said, you know, I have the checklist there. That's the final component. Unfortunately it is in Google Docs. So I am very much intrigued by Airtable and that you're using it as a learning management software. I mean, I've looked at an LMS like, um, I, I signed up for one a few weeks ago. A trainable. Yeah, it looks pretty yeah. cool. But um, I didn't know that Airtable could be used for this facet as well. I know Nico and I have talked about other use cases, but yeah, interesting that you're using it. Is it meant to be that? I'm, I'm, I don't know. It's I'm, meant to be. I mean, Airtable is meant to be whatever you can make it. But what yeah. I do, to give you an example here, if like I pull in all of our employees, each of them are assigned a, like a department. That gets ported into our training database. And then all the trainings get assigned to certain departments. So if I add a new team member, add a new training, they both sync with each other. So at any given time, if somebody comes in as a sales rep, all of the trainings assigned to them are there. But if I add a new training or for, yeah, a new training for a sales rep, all of our sales reps get notifications that a new training's just been added for them specifically. So nice. plenty of different ways to cut it. But my thing is, right, Airtable is so nice in the sense of it can cut out all of my other softwares um, for the most part. Like I have Airtable... I'm starting to cut out Zapier because everything's in Airtable wow. and Airtable has an automation stack. So I can use just Airtable. And then I have PandaDoc for proposals and Stripe for payments. That's our yeah. whole tech stack. My my thing with Airtable has been the, and I don't even know the pricing. I just like, I think it's expensive, but then I here I am spending like $200 a month on Zapier. And uh, that doesn't make much sense if, you know, can do that in, in Airtable. I'll show you our cost offline. It's uh, there. There are some ways to get around it, but yeah, um, it's definitely worth it if you do the hard math of like cutting out Zapier, Zapier. I don't really ever know what to call that anymore. Yeah, um, I call it all I call your other ones. I've always called it that. I so, used to, but then if on your website, their tagline is 
Zapier, Zapier, but underneath it, it makes you happier. So I always think it's Zapier because it rhymes, but I couldn't tell you. Yeah. So something that I think that you mentioned, David, on our walk the other week that I did jot down was the ability, you know, even in the presence of systems and processes, the freedom to operate within a framework. So you're not necessarily, it sounds like you're not really stripping away people's freedom and creativity, you know, like you have to check these boxes. And in a way, I mean, I guess you do just speak to that, you know, the, yeah. you know what I'm talking about. I'd, I'd love to hear your 100%. philosophy on that. Cause I don't want to, I don't want to just have robots that just like, don't think for themselves. You know, I want to give yep. them freedom and creativity. I tend to say you can actually keep it step by step, but certain steps should have guidelines. So a really easy one that we were reviewing recently was like creating content ideas for our SEO clients. There's definitely a strategy there, right? You're going to, you're going to open up SimRush. You're going to go to a topic research page. You're going to type in some keywords, but then switches to guidelines, right? Okay. Now you're looking at hundreds of different ideas. Here are the different things that you should use to measure your final recommendations. Do you find it interesting? Do other people find it interesting? What's the backlink? Like, you know, how many people have actually linked to this article? How long is the article? What images does it use? Ba then basically, you know, how do you value those things? Which one's going to be the most important? Why are you recommending the five that you're recommending? That way it's not specific things because at the end of the day, I'm hiring people, hiring two different types of people, people that just knock out tasks day in, day out that maybe are, you know, kind of behind the scenes that might serve more of an admin ops role. But with Zapier and Airtable, I don't even have to hire those people which is nice. And I can only hire people that at the end of the day are, are thinking strategically that aren't just following directions. So that way I'm, I'm bringing on a, a content writer that has the structure to get him or her where they need to get, but then an area for them to actually express themselves and express their writing style and thought process. And that's where I actually don't try and control that too much. I'm a big believer in trust first, like give you all of it up front, see where you take it and go from there. But you know, if you have experience writing SEO and I've seen your past experience and I've seen your past writing and blogs and things like that, and you hear a little bit about your strategy and process, probably going to fit in line with what we need to do. And I'm actually open that if it's different, it's going to add a little bit of a flair to our agency, which isn't a bad thing. So gotcha. I tend to say you, some things need to be uber documented if they're that rigid and they, they have to be that rigid, right? Like there's only so many ways you can creatively set up a subscription in Stripe for a customer, <laughs> but there are plenty of ways to set up a content strategy for a client. How do you want to cut it? Why do you want to cut it that way? And I think that's where an SOP is like setting up a subscription in Stripe. A training is, you know, True. how to choose how to choose a payments provider for your company. What are you actually looking at? Giving right. everybody the recommendations and letting them base that off of what they value. So little little bit of a different thing there, but I tend to say trainings are going to teach people how to actually think. SOPs are going to teach them how to do what was just taught. Do you so have training yeah, but, go ahead. No, keep going. I was going to say, like a training might be, you know, everything you need to know about on-page SEO. What is it? Why is it important? What does it do? What are the different parts of it? The SLP might actually just be, you know, updating the titles and descriptions of a target page. Right. So one sits really high up, one's a little bit lower that, you know, falls into that training. Do you have training documents within Noom? Yeah. So what do those look like? like? So those look like, and I'll give you, I'll give you some examples as I pull it up here. Like a training is going to be, you know, mobile website design overview. What we're looking for on mobile websites and like a bunch of different examples and things like that. Um, it's a lot of examples too. So like an example SEO kickoff call, 
an example web design or web development kickoff call and a, you know an example website strategy overview creation or website strategy map. A lot of the trainings look like that. And actually, they're not as much dropped into paper as much as they are just videos. So there's screen recordings or loom recordings or call recordings that are just dropped in there with a little overview of like, hey, watch this video. These timestamps are going to be most important. This should help you inform your decisions around A, B, C, D, E, F, and G. Then if there's relevant SOPs, we link out to those. So if we're like a, you know, web kickoff call, here are some other SOPs that are going to fall in line with that. How to update your client during the project, how to communicate with them, how to get them in the Slack, how to, you know, use markup and things like that. How many of your team members do you think have gone through all the the trainings that they need to go through that you want I them think to it's, go through? Yeah, it gets more and more every single week. Um, so every time we onboard somebody, they get a list of everything that they need to go through. And I typically will kind of like voice over quiz them to make sure that they've actually right. interacted with it. So that's one way. But well, like typically, a voice, you know, voiceover, like voice message like, or, or like I'll voiceover of like, hey, you know, one of the trainings that I had you watch was that, you know, Kanoa kickoff call. You know, I'm curious, what do you think of that? Uh, right, yeah. right. You, you know if people are BSing or not, right? Oh, so easily, man. Uh, so easily. <laughs> I mean, it's like night and day. And then I'll nod and I'll always assume that I'll, I'll let them think they win. And then I'll message them on the side and be like, come on now. Like, <laughs> we're, we're day two. Let's, let's kick it up a gear. Right. Um, <laughs> people are people, man. I get it. Um, but then all of that. But anytime we have a new SOP come through, it's pinged over to the entire team channel. So we have 33, 34 people in there. Anytime a new SOP or training gets published, it gets pinged in. And then whoever creates it needs to go into that channel and it's kind of documented as well. As soon as you create it, it goes to the team channel, tag the people that need to watch it and make sure they watch it. So it's your responsibility that if you're creating an SOP or a guideline, you need to make sure that the people that need to engage with it actually watch it. So that falls back on you and and your shoulders. But every single year is what we're kind of getting at. We'll probably do like a six month cadence starting next year. But Basically, all the SOPs are sent back out. Everybody's assigned and basically asked to rewatch them. And then we have kind of like a team get together of like, okay, if we have multiple big departments, more or less like a department get together of like, okay, here are all the trainings and SOPs we asked to review. Let's actually chat about them. What do you like? What you didn't like? What do you think actually isn't needed anymore? What do you think needs updated? Things like that. Right. Amazing, man. So I do have a hard out in 15 minutes. We've got to talk with our, our friend, Jordan. Um, I do. I've oh, got a fun. coaching session with him and I've got things that I still want to get to. Love this talk about systems and processes. I, I want to talk about the talent that you've recruited to NUMA and the philosophy that guides your culture. So let's make that two parts. Yeah. What? How did you attract the talent? And then the guiding philosophy that you're building the culture yeah. behind. So, I mean, it, you've probably it, heard this thing. It's incredible, like, man. It's incredible. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, right. You've heard the saying, like, you are the average of the five people you hang around with. So you kind of break that down a bit, right? Uh, if you're hanging around with one cool person and you meet somebody that has a, a cool friend near them, they're more likely to probably have cool friends nearby. But also vice versa. If you meet somebody that's extremely rude, probably going to be around some extremely rude people as well. Same thing goes with clients. Same things go with team members as well. So as we hire team members, the first few hires were incredibly difficult trying to vet people and find. But as we started going, we actually knew what we were vetting and looking for. It's actually not that hard to go hire today 
because right, all our team members fit our culture and values. So that's ultimately what we're hiring for is like, do you believe and have the same philosophy about business or marketing or sales or ops that we do? Great. You're in the team. At that point, you know, they're in the team, they stick around, let's say they're there for six, nine, 12 months. They're going to do a lot of the hiring for us. So like what we just did is our director of ops, his name is Adrian. He does an you know, amazing, fantastic job at his job and his roles change plenty of times and he still does, you know, really good work. We're basically going to him like, Hey Adrian, who else would you recommend for this job? Mm-hmm. You know, if you're, if your name is on the line there, who do you think, if you do know of anybody that would be a good fit for us? And we do a lot of our recruiting like that because ultimately it's building up that little individual ecosystem. Cause we do hire globally. So if somebody is in a different country and they have friends or family looking for work that they do think is a good fit, man, I, I get to support them. They get to support me, but it's also kind of pre-vetted because I know that if my team member, you know, highly recommends them, they get the stamp of approval from me. And honestly, some companies are like, that's a you know terrible strategy. It's not reliable. You know, people are going to lie to you and just get their friends and family in. And we started that around six to seven people We're at 32, 33. Now, like I said, has not gone, you know, not steered me wrong yet. We have had, if anything, uh, even better hires every single time down the line that are even better fits because we continually hone in. But we're asking those people that are already fits in the business to help identify other people as well. And I think that's a really you know easy way, but I am a big believer. And I, I think part of this as well is just like global talent in the sense of every other company will tell you, you know, go outsource globally because it's, it costs less. Very true. Like we're not going to go past that, but at the end of the day, and this is where it first happened. We were hiring for our director of ops position. We hired or we interviewed four people, three in the States, one in Venezuela. The guy in Venezuela, his name's Adrian. That's who we hired. Absolutely crushed it. Did a fantastic job in the interview. Uh, knew our business better than we knew our own business. Yeah. And he just had such a consistency to his answers, but also just like was committed to the position. Yeah. I didn't see that in anyone else that we hired. And Dang. I always tell people, take labor out of it. We're, you got to hire for the best possible person. Yeah. Today, in my opinion, in the labor market for specifically my business, yeah. that just so happens to be global employees because right now in America, it's really cool to collect unemployment checks. And there's there's my political view. I don't know if you were expecting that. And no, that's man. probably not something we want to get into. But <laughs> I mean, no, that's just I, what I mean, we're running into. I, I agree, though. Like, I joked on a sales call the other week that, um, you know, because we use artificial intelligence. And, you know, we have a system that sends out these outbound campaigns. And we were talking about the difference between, you know, the pros and cons of human-based outreach versus, you know, versus using a system and artificial intelligence, some software. And, uh, you know, I was like, (laughs) you know, if you tell, if you tell an American or if you tell the artificial intelligence, the software to send, to start 200 conversations, it's going to start 200 conversations. It's going to do it. No questions asked. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Just going to do it. If you tell someone abroad, maybe someone Filipino to start 200 conversations, they'll probably do it like 80% of the time. If you tell an American, they'll probably do it like 40, 50% of the time. Maybe. maybe. Right. And they'll complain, they'll complain about it if they do it. Yeah. Just some ingratitude there. Like, <laughs> So you were talking about some of the things that you – and the reasons why you hired this specific person just a couple of minutes ago. What are some of the things that – you look for in an interview in a candidate? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And and one of the biggest things is like, it sounds stupid because it's hard to measure. And our friend Jordan would 
still gets mad at me because I don't have it exactly documented, but I trust my gut quite a bit. And one of the things is like, can I hop on a call and actually just like be friends with you? Exactly. Um, is it enjoyable to talk about? But then I think I start to get into, like, I hate the questions whenever I was interviewing for jobs, man, of like, have you ever had somebody upset at you? And how did you resolve that? Like, man, everybody has, but that's not getting to the point of it. Sure. Everybody has now, you know, why did you do it that way? So a lot of our questions are like, Hey, you know, I'm sure somebody has been mad at you in the past and I'm sure you handled it in a certain way. I care less about that. I want to care about like, what, what were you thinking in that moment? And why did you actually do what you ended up doing? There is no right or wrong answer in a lot of these interviews today. I'm hiring again for strategy, for thought process. I'm not hiring for somebody that, oh, you know, I read this book about how to resolve difficult conversations and I followed steps one, two, three, four, five, and six because it doesn't really show me anybody has a true thought process to themselves. They're just following someone else's guidelines that they might work, which is fine. But like, I'm more curious about, you know, how you got to that conclusion and, and why you got to that conclusion. So that's one thing I'll look at is almost like the strategy of how a person's brain works and thinks and like why they're doing what they're doing. But then the other thing that I I really look at is like a commitment to the craft and like a a dedication to the craft as well in the sense of like, this is an interesting one to always look for because I think a lot of times, especially globally, but in America, we've set it up to like more work is better. You know, will you work 10 hours for our business every day? Yes, sir. Like that's kind of the mantra that we've gotten at. And I've recently started to ask the question of like, hey, you know, if your day's work only requires three hours from you, like, what are you doing with the other 21? All right, I'm assuming you're sleeping. So like, what are you doing with the other 13? That answer shows a lot about a person because if somebody tells me I'm just going to keep on working, I might, part of me might love it. Part of me might hate it though, because they're never going to be offline and they're going to burn out. And I'm not going to get that employee, but I'm thinking of Adrian specifically. I'm thinking of a couple others that we hired. You know, I spend time with my family. I'd probably read. To be honest, I'd probably get back online and clear some stuff up and get ahead for the day. But I would take, you know, that win when I got it and really rest up for the weeks that are going to come in, you know, come in the future that aren't going to be three hour days. And I think those are really interesting answers as well, because business, if done right, should not require all of your time. It should require very little of your time because it's just a set of processes might require time to set it up. But once the ball's rolling, you shouldn't have to be in the business hands on every single day. Yeah. My two cents there. What is your involvement look like today? Yeah. And I think that I am super involved. So I actually will probably end up working another 10 to 12 hours today. But what I tend to say is like, today. I don't have to. Oh yeah. Gosh. <laughs> but I, I don't have to. If I wanted to turn in right now, I could turn in. I could go to bed and not log back on until Monday and the business is still going to function. Yeah. And that's actually for a lot of our people. If they're going to take a week or two off at a time, some stuff might come up and I think it's good to actually do that from time to time to see what's going to happen, but nothing's going to explode and nothing's going to stop. Yeah. Which is really, really cool. So uh, yeah, I tend to say when I do get in my hands into the business, a lot of it is going to be on coaching and training and just making our people the best versions of themselves as possible. So it's reviewing sales calls from other team members. It's reviewing strategy calls with clients. It's reviewing their documented strategies for what they want to do in the future. It's, you know, kind of showcasing them and, and putting them on a, on a pedestal internally to say, Hey, so-and-so crushed it this week. You know, let's all give them him or her like a, you know, congrats or, or something of the sort, like let's shout them out. So that's a lot of what my day looks like now. It's a lot of big picture vision, goal setting, and really just like the clarity of communication of going down the chain and making sure everybody's involved. But then it's also, you're, you're still a firefighter, whatever level you're at of founder. Like if something goes wrong, Ultimately, it's the founder's responsibility because he or she started the company. Their hands and their DNA are all over that business. So if there's a problem in the way a system's set up, 
within the first five years, honestly, in my opinion, mm. it's probably the founder's fault and it's got to roll up to the founder to get fixed as well. Mm. So there are still some things of like, if we have a, a client issue or something pops up or like, you know, things go wrong in client services businesses, that's pretty normal. I still kind of enjoy handling those, but still can be the one to handle them from time to time because that's kind of my role in the business. So yeah, I, I tend to say I, I try of, and like we talked about earlier, tried to completely eradicate responsibility day in and day out for myself so that when I do get involved, it can be at a very high level. It's not stress-induced or fear-induced, and I can think clearly about what we actually want to go implement and why, which puts me in a really cool position to you know help grow the company, but also find ways for others in the company to get that same boat as well. Yeah. David, it's been an excellent conversation. I could talk to you all day. We could deep dive different subjects. Um, we'd love to have you back on. We have... Yeah. About four and a half minutes to get through a couple of more things. This is going to be a speed round. But first, let's do it. David Riggs on LinkedIn, Numa, P N E U M A L L C dot co is the web, website, Numa LLC dot co. Anywhere else that you would want to have people hang out with you? Yeah, I'm getting, I'm getting back on Instagram. So my personal Instagram is D William Riggs. Uh, Numa Media is the Instagram handle. And then I am personally starting to get back on Twitter as well because I kind of enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, and my handle there is D. William Riggs as well. Yeah. And you actually, you have a good web, uh, a good podcast called How to Build a Website, which we isn't all about building a website. Like there's episodes on culture and whatnot, which are really valuable and, uh, yeah. you know, features several of your team members whom I also respect and admire. So, yeah, guys, this is someone that you want to follow. If you're in the digital agency world and you're not following David, I don't know what you're doing. This guy puts out great content. He's like, for me, the number one guy to learn from. You and Jordan Roth are like my people that I learn from in the agency world. So, all right, now we've got three minutes for this speed round. Influential <laughs> Influential books. You sent me one a few months ago that that definitely changed the way I think. It was by Patrick Lencioni. Uh, what's that book yep. called? It's uh oh, I forget it. Um, I don't Shoot. forget it. It's it's like uh the oh, the it's something naked. Getting naked. It, is it getting naked? I thought yeah. it was the process of getting naked. I don't remember what it was, nope. but I'm looking at it right now. Is it? Yeah, because I always say that people look at me weird, which is why I remember the getting naked part. But it's about how to basically like dress yourself down with clients and get real with them and actually have yeah. a very successful client services business. That one, one rocks. Other, one other book. Yeah. Um, I, I read one recently, which is not, which is not the biggest one, but it's a hundred million dollar offers by Alex Hormozzi. That's the one that I've been reading recently because I think it has a really good impact to it, but I'm trying to pull up the one. If I can get to it on my Kindle before, before time runs out, I will teach you to be rich is one that I really enjoyed personal finance. Um, I thought that was a fantastic, but there was one called, I just found it. It's called Chase the Lion. It's by Mark Batterson. Uh, if your dream doesn't scare you, it's too small. And it's a, he's a Christian writer kind of talking about like why Christians should actually be some of the best and brightest entrepreneurs in our world nice. and why we have just failed to do that because of more, it gets kind uh, of into like the way uh, the uh, church works today, but like why that just isn't part of the Christian culture and why Christians should be the people taking the biggest risks out there. So nice. that's, that's the other one that have, it's a small one, but I, I've really, really enjoyed it. Cause it's not, not definitely not one that's recommended a ton. Cause it's a, by a, a smaller author, but mm -hmm. fantastic, man. It's definitely not an author in the business world. I'll put it that way. Gotcha. So 
The last question that we're going to do is the three golden rules of running an agency. That's going to be more of like do oriented. But this question first is don't do oriented. The three yeah. negative, bad, bad, don't do this in the agency world. What are those three things that a lot of people maybe do? Yeah. So one is from Patrick's book, uh, Don't Fear Losing the Business. If you're working from a place of fear day in and day out that you're going to lose a business or lose a client, you're already SOL. Um, the other one, which is a hot take, not a lot of people say this, is I actually, I, I phrase it as don't admit fault. There's obviously a longer you know, explanation of this, but if a client's upset at you, don't turn around and be like, yep, it's totally my fault. I'm so sorry. At that point, a client doesn't care if you're sorry. The client doesn't care whose fault it is. The client wants it solved. The client is paying you for a solution, not a recognition of a problem. So that's one of the big ones of don't admit fault until really the way we have it branded, don't admit fault until the problem's solved. Make sure you actually have the solution presented and in place before you admit your fault, which you still need to do. And I think the third one, like we kind of talked about, like don't work without a why. 18-hour days go nowhere if you're just spinning your tires. Totally. And I think that the, the um, don't just raise problems, offer solutions. That's one of your core values that I know you share in your kickoff call. Yeah. So the last one, three golden rules of the agency world. Yeah, I think number one is do break things. Um, if you are running an agency, you should break. Whether it's like a playbook externally for your clients, you should break it and redo it based on new data that's coming out and new insights that are coming out. So do break things. Do have fun, which is uh, probably a better third one like to end on. But like agencies are supposed to be fun, man. Business is supposed to be fun. Don't kill yourself over it. Like don't go so hard that you do not enjoy it. If you get to that point, ease off the gas. It's yeah. not a race that everyone else you're, you're, you're competing against. It's just a race against yourself. You're supposed to have yeah. fun. Uh, and then I think the, the third one there is, uh, there's probably a third and fourth. Do over-invest in your team, right? An agency is not a one-man show. An agency is a team show, right? You can't play a baseball game without, I don't even know how many people, you can't play a soccer game without 11 people on the field, right? If you're a one versus 11, you're going to get smacked every time. So, you know, right? do build into your team, do invest a team. Uh, and then the fourth one, which uh, I think so many people forget is like, maybe not in a do format, but like focus on profit. So many agencies are like, we did $175,000 in revenue and we only made $1,000 profit, but we made <laughs> $175,000 in revenue. And I'm like, man, that's terrible. Like if we're just making $1,000 in profit, my lemonade stand that maybe a cousin or somebody could probably do that in a month as well. So like, congrats, you're, you're not doing anything special. Right. And I tend to say agencies if are done well and their processes are honed in should be driving profit and should be making those team members not wealthy, but like well off in the sense of they're delivering good profits. They're making their clients money. We had a client today that had a 330% increase in inbound leads this year working with us. I'm making them money. They make us money. Everybody's happy. Amazing. David Riggs, you're the man. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me on, dude. There you have it, my friends. This has been another episode of The Jordan Paris Show. Now, if you enjoyed today's episode, there are a couple of things that you can do. Number one is, of course, share with your friends and family. I think that they would really appreciate it. Number two, we have a free community, a sensor-free community on Telegram. You can join that group at jordanparis.com group. I'd love to meet you. And lastly, your voice is powerful and it is important. And if you'd like to use your voice and start your own podcast, I'd love to help you out. jordanparis.com course is where you can find my free course on how to become a rock star podcaster. That's all. Thanks everyone for listening. 
and I'll catch you on the next episode of The Jordan Paris Show.